welcome back to season two episode, I can't remember, of Emetophobia Health. I'm Anna Christie from Vancouver, Canada, a recovered emetophobic licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia and your host for this podcast. And uh, today my guest is Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, Anna. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, Emily is from Pennsylvania in the United States of America. Lovely place. I've been there a couple times. Um, do you live in a city or in a rural area? We're outside of Philly, um, so in the suburbs, right outside of Philly. Nice, nice. That's that's where I've been. I've also been to Pittsburgh. So, um, yes, yeah. <laughs> a lot of his, a lot of American history in Pennsylvania, right? There is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're, I'm a, I'm an American, even though I'm Canadian, I'm an American history and politics junkie. Um, so we have a lot of that here. <laughs> yes. Current. Uh, I'm also interested in the historical politics and stuff um, of, of America. So yeah, pretty cool. Anyway, so we're talking about emetophobia today. So tell us about how it started for you or the, or how, what you remember from your childhood? So I don't remember exactly when my emetophobia started. Um, I just remember, you know, when I was younger that I was always kind of a homebody. Like I didn't like to go to sleepovers at other kids' houses. And if I did, I would often get picked up, you know, in the middle of the night. Um, and I don't remember any traumatic, you know, incidents that could have caused this, um, but I just, it just kind of was always there um, going on trips. I just remember I would always, you know, be crying to my mom, like a friend would invite me to go to the beach with them. And my mom would be like, why don't you want to go? And I would always just say, what if I get sick there? And she just couldn't understand, you know, why that was even a thought in my mind. And I didn't understand it at the time either. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the times that I was sick as a child, I don't remember ever being too afraid actually in the moment. So as right. an adult, it's just been so much more prevalent for me. Yeah. Your story is pretty um, common. It, uh, it almost always starts in childhood. I did meet one person that I interviewed that st it started in adolescence, but never as an adult, somehow it begins, doesn't usually have some traumatic vomiting story behind it actually so if people are listening out there and you're not sure why you have this no one else is either you know none <laughs> of us is uh sure what exactly why we got it but it seems to be a perfect storm of things what was your childhood like in general i had a happy childhood um you know i i have one brother and lived at home with my parents um you know our family is all pretty local so we spend a lot of time with family um and we you know, back in, in the nineties, everyone used to play outside and all the neighbors mm -hmm. were together. So mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was a really happy childhood. Um, we traveled all the things that I don't really enjoy doing anymore. I don't like to, I don't love to fly. So, yeah. um, I used to love it as a child. I remember our first flight and just being so excited to be on an airplane. So, right. you know, it was, right. it was definitely a positive experience for me. Yeah, that's that's another thing that's great for most of our listeners to hear because I find also in interviewing people and in working with clients that they often have very nice families 
and a very happy childhoods apart from the emetophobia. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say I had a happy childhood, but I, there were, there was lots of happy stuff going on, you know, and, yeah. and I was happy when, it, when I wasn't scared, I was happy, you know, but um, I was mostly scared of, at the time of, well, no, I was scared of everything to do with vomiting, actually. Yeah. So, um, so then you grew up, obviously, and mm-hmm. um, you said that you don't, that, you know, you used to like flying, but you don't like flying anymore. So what's, what's um, the deal with flying? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I had one bad flight actually flying to, we were going to Canada, um, but we were flying into Buffalo, New York. So it was like a 28 minute flight or 34 minute flight. We were on a prop plane, uh, oh, my husband gosh. and I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, a. Uh, it was probably my first, I've hit turbulence before, but that was extreme. Um, somebody actually got sick on my plane and it's like four mm-hmm. rows, I think. So that was, right. it was just yeah. like traumatizing. I just, my memories of that day, we were circling the Philadelphia airport for 30 oh, minutes. Gosh. And if you've ever flown to Philly, you know that that's common. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I just wow. remember looking at my husband when it was over and I said, if I ever, if we ever book a flight and I see that it's this small, like I am turning around and we're leaving yeah. and I am not getting yeah. on it. Put me on a 777. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do still fly. We travel, yeah. um, but yeah. I don't enjoy getting there ever. Right. right. My daughter, who's not emetophobic or phobic of anything, um, was living in Texas and she, it, there was bad weather. She, I think she was trying to get home for Christmas and um, she ended up getting a flight a couple of flights. I think they got stuck. Where does everybody get stuck? In Denver. Like it's a Mm. huge airport, right? It's right in the middle of the country. And then she got a flight to Seattle. So from Seattle to Vancouver is only two hours by car. Mm -hmm. So she got on one of those planes and and the way she described it she was so funny because we picked her up at the airport. She's like, so this happened and then this and and then somewhere in Denver they said, congratulations, you get to be strip searched or whatever it was, you know, (laughs) you're the whatever customer number, random search. So that all, and then she goes, and then we got into Seattle and we got on this plane. And then I was in a fighter pilot movie. (laughs) Yeah, it is not, prop planes are not fun. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, well, I think they're fun for people. I mean, she didn't think it was fun either. She was just like, whoa, it was, it was like I was in a fighter, fighter plane, you know, Um, and, and then she finally arrived at, at, uh, at Vancouver International and you know, all is well, right? But, but <laughs> yeah, the thing after is, the fact. <laughs> you were on that plane, and someone got sick. And you were okay. Other than you were scared. Mm-hmm. Were you scared the whole time you were on the plane or just after that person got sick? I think it started when the turbulence hit just because it was mm-hmm. Like I said, I've been in turbulence before, but that was the most, like my husband's been everywhere. He's gone Mm -hmm. all over the world. And he said like, that is the worst flight he's ever been on in his life. So I was like, okay, that's validating at least. Yeah, Um, so I think the fear started when that happened. And of course I immediately jumped to myself getting sick from the turbulence, which Mm -hmm. I've never thrown up on a plane. So I don't know 
And you won't. Why I associate that. You never have and you didn't on that trip. And that's the thing about us and metaphobics. We just don't throw up for reasons other than being terribly poisoned Mm -hmm. or poisoned with enough viral load of something. You know, that's Mm -hmm. really the only things we should, if you're scared of, of vomiting, it. That's pretty much it, you know. Yeah. Um, food poisoning or or norovirus. Otherwise, all these things that make other people throw up, they don't make us throw up. And I think that yeah. nobody, you know, I, I read a thing that I thought was interesting that no one knows whether it's a cause or an effect. Like, is it because we're so scared that we can stop ourselves from vomiting? Or is it that we're not the kind of people who vomit very often? And therefore that, you know, avoidance makes a phobia worse. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like as a child, I, I don't know how often I had neurovirus, but it was a normal amount for a child that's like in public school and around a a bunch of germs. Mm -hmm. Um, but as an adult, I mean, I can count and tell you every detail of every time I've gotten sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, exactly. and I've heard that on this podcast before. Everyone knows, you know, every detail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing the amount of detail. Well, um, and that's, that's why, like, if you are, it's the part of your brain that's meant to keep you alive. So part of our brain believes we're dying or about to mm-hmm. die. Or if it happens, we'll die. So of course you take note of every little thing because you would yeah. if you were in a scary situation as well, where a bunch of guys came in with guns or something. You know, you mm-hmm. spend the whole time staring at the guns. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it it is like that, and we call them flash bulb memories, which is a baby boomer expression. I'm pretty sure we used to have these little cameras called an inst- Kodak Instamatic. And you put a flash cube in the top and you got four flashes, it would turn itself. Um, and so if it, if you needed a flash, you know, and it's like, it's almost like, yeah, you've taken a picture, you know, mm-hmm. and you you can remember. Yeah, I really could tell you almost every detail. So it, it, it is quite mm-hmm. like that. And I can still do that. Um, mm-hmm. Although only up until the time when I got over the phobia. Now I am not even reliable for watching movies or TV shows. Like, is there vomiting in that? And I'll say no. And there was, because yeah. that's how much you just don't notice it when you're not afraid. It's yeah. amazing. So, it is yeah. true. I, I notice it a lot less now than I used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about, um, yeah, flying was a, a problem as an adult. What other kinds of things when you were at your worst with the phobia, did you, you know, how did it impact your life? So I would say my like lowest point was like when I went to college, um, that was just, I don't know if it was just moving away. And I mean, I was at a local university, it was not far away, but moving Mm -hmm. to like a dorm room, um, and just that experience, it just triggered something in me and my anxiety just took off from there. Um, so I actually ended up losing like 25 pounds my freshman year oh of college. My and gosh. so, yeah, I did. Yes. And I think mm. after listening to the podcast and learning more about emetophobia, I learned, you know, that I think it started as a direct result of the emetophobia. I was afraid to eat certain foods or just food in general because I was afraid it would make me sick. Mm. Um, 
but then it kind of morphed into somewhat of an eating disorder. So it was kind of two things going on at the same time for me um, back then. And it just going out, I was just never leaving the dorm. And um, I ended up moving home and commuting the rest of my undergrad experience, which I was able to get on anxiety medication and start therapy. So it definitely helped me at that time. But like going to parties at college, and I had a roommate um, who drank a lot. And we we like were in a lottery and we got the dorm room with the bathroom in your room, which was great for many oh, reasons. Cool. But yeah, you know, when you have a roommate who drinks a lot and I oh, was no. afraid of alcohol at that point, like I was right. not going to these parties, I was not drinking. So she would come home and be sick. And I just remember like laying in my tiny little bed and just having internal panic attacks. Oh, um, yeah. mm-hmm. And she didn't know about any of this. I mean, we weren't that close. So right. it was just, right. mm-hmm. you know, all building. So going out to restaurants at that time became a problem for me. Um, I became really obsessive just about what I was eating and who had touched it and germs in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasted you know, throughout, I would say those four years of undergrad. Um, and I got better from there, thank goodness. But that was definitely my lowest point, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I certainly remember university and I lived um, 90 miles from the closest university. So there was no question of commuting. Yeah, um, it's also in the snow belt of Ontario, where <laughs> just north of you, you know, where it's, yeah, you can't drive in the winter anyway. So uh, yeah, I do remember dorm days. And that was probably my lowest point of not eating. I stopped eating. Yeah, uh, I ate two things. Uh, I don't know That's how, how I was weight I lost, but I weighed I'm five foot four and a half. <laughs> and I weighed under 100 pounds. I mm-hmm. think, you know, there was no weigh scale there. So I have yeah. no idea how much weight I lost. But I only it. knew because it turned, you know, I had to go to doctors and stuff after that. And it was oh, just so yeah. hyper yeah. aware of everything yeah. at that point. Right. Um, so yeah, that was I would say college was rough. It was just yeah, yeah, a setup it, that wasn't right for me at the time. It 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 is. Um it can be. Yeah. I in fact, um a little while ago Every single client I had, I think, I only take about 10 people, and about eight of them were college students. It was just random. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came up on my wait list. But very uh, can be a very difficult time for a metaphobics. Yeah. Um, medication you mentioned, and um, do you, are you still on medication? I'm not. So I, I was on it. I tried a bunch of different medications, um, mm-hmm. antidepressants, everything, um, and nothing ever worked. And then I did find one that did eventually work for me really well. And it, it kind of saved me um, at the time. I, it gave me what I needed to push myself um, and get better just because I couldn't imagine again, you know, I went on to get my master's degree and I was like, I can't mm-hmm. imagine going back to school because there were weird little things like sitting in um, a class that I knew yeah. was like 90 minutes. I would mm-hmm. always feel sick in that 90 right. minutes because I I felt trapped, like I couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So Even for me, you could leave. You could leave. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I did sometimes. Like I would go to the bathroom and just walk around and just mm-hmm. calm myself a little bit. But I just couldn't at the time imagine going through that for two more years. And I was like, mm-hmm. "There's no way I'm doing this." Mm-hmm. Um, but I did do it. The medication was great for me. Um, I got off of the meds about a year and a half ago. Um, 
when my husband and I started talking about starting a family and I was in exposure and response prevention therapy at the time. And I told my therapist in the beginning, like, this is one of my goals. I want to get off of this. Mm -hmm. So it was, it wasn't necessarily a safety behavior, but to me, it was a crutch. I wanted to live without it. Um, so I've been off of it. Yeah. For a little over a year now and feeling great. Good. That's good. And, and I'm agreeing with you saying it's a crutch because I understand that that's how you feel because that's what a lot of people say. I, I, there were no, believe it or not, I am old enough <laughs> that there were no medications when I, I mean, I think there was Nardil and Librium, Librium or, you know, bizarre stuff like that, but there wasn't, there were no SSRIs. Certainly mm-hmm. there may have been for depression. Um, but they didn't prescribe them for anxiety, not realizing at the time that depression and anxiety in the brain are two sides of a pancake. Yep. So you've, if you've got the pancake, they work, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. matter which side it is. Um, so, yeah, and good for you for trying a few until you found one that worked, because a lot of our listeners will um, not do that. Uh, it, it takes everything for them to try the first one and yeah. they're worried about nausea and so on. Trust me, yeah. I never, ever, I've talked to thousands of emetophobics online, never heard of anyone vomiting from an SSRI or an SNRI. Yeah. Any, any I'm here to tell you that I never did yeah. and that was my no. fear. It, yeah, it wasn't exactly. pleasant. I had yeah. some weird side effects, but yeah. not. You get weird. It feels weird. It feels funny. A lot of people say, I just felt funny. You know, yeah. people that aren't emetophobic felt funny for maybe a week or something like that. Or, uh, But you stick with it for a month and you'll see a huge difference. Um, and you don't have to be on them the rest of your life. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, for me, it was about six, six and a half years or so that I stayed on them. Good. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they made all the difference for me, truly. Yeah. Yeah. I know I have clients that I actually convince, you know, that this is what they need because they're scared all the time. Yeah. You know, if you're, it doesn't work for phobias and a lot of psychiatrists are prescribing physicians will say, oh, well, these drugs don't work for phobias. No, they don't work for phobias of clowns. When you only mm-hmm. come across a clown once a year, you'll still freak out. But if you're scared all the time and you're worried about nausea and so on all the time, then they work quite well. So yeah. That's good. So yeah. And um, I mean, do you have a family yet? Or are you still working on that? <laughs> I'm actually 18 weeks pregnant with my yeah, first. So right yeah, on. congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And how do you feel like physically? Are you all right? Better now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to my therapist last week or two weeks ago. And she said to me, she was like, you know, the first thing you said to me at our first session was, I want to be able to, you know, want pregnancy and want a child because it's something I know I've always wanted, but I was too Mm -hmm. afraid of morning sickness and taking care of that child when they're sick after the fact. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's been a big focus of our therapy together. Um, And I did it and I'm here to say you can, you can do it if if it's something you really want. Good for you. So many of my clients have that as their first goal is getting pregnant or, or having a child wanting to get Mm -hmm. pregnant. Um, Again, of all the thousands of emetophobics I've talked to and and read their stories online, I there you know there's a couple maybe that have had some morning sickness, uh, like more of a 
um, what do you call it, a disease that, that affects a few women. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it, where they're hyperemesis gravitational. Yes, HD. Yeah. yeah. And um, one of my clients had that. It totally cured her metaphobia. I'm sure I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, it just like, yeah, after a few days, it's like, oh, well, you know, here I am again. It was, um, yeah, she ended up just like me, then still being scared of other people vomiting. So I worked with her on that. But yeah, the other, but uh, I don't want to, you know, everybody will zoom in on what I just said about her, but I'm talking about thousands and thousands of them. It's very rare. Trust me, I did the research yeah, <laughs> in the past. Everyone does, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Google stuff. And I, I did have nausea um, for the first, mm-hmm. you know, up until like 14 weeks, I would say, but it was manageable. I mean, yeah. I stayed with my therapy um, and yeah. did the opposite of what I wanted to do in all, in all those moments. And, right. you know, it passes yeah. at some point and it ends up being worth it in the end. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you feel pretty good now being in second trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, well, good, good. And if I forget at the end, the best of luck to you and, and thank you and this baby it'll be so exciting so let's talk about the therapy that you got and what what did you do how did you find someone and what were yeah. they like so i've had a lot of therapy in my lifetime um mm-hmm. and none of it worked ever <laughs> i right. i had some bad experiences um i don't think any of my therapists prior to my current therapist had ever heard of emetophobia um right. and i don't a lot of them didn't even really, they just addressed other things because I don't, I just don't think they were familiar or believed that that was like the root of my issues. Right. Um, so I don't know, I'm trying to like remember what prompted me, but I just kind of came to a point a year, a little over a year ago where I was like, I'm done with this. I cannot live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pediatric speech therapist. So I'm literally around oh. children all the time who are okay. gagging on foods and sick and yes. you know everything you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and I was panicking and again, internally, because I couldn't really show it in the professional setting like that around parents and things like that, where I'm there to see their children. Um, and I just hit my breaking point and I was like, I need to address this. So I started researching emetophobia therapy in my area and I came across a few therapists and one specifically like under her name, you know how it says what you specialize in. Yeah. She listed the word emetophobia and it was this moment for me. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay this is, I've never seen this before. So I reached out to her. Um, we had a phone call and we started, you know, shortly after that, um, on my course of treatment and it's been an absolute lifesaver for me, like life changing. Um, a lot of my problem was associated with the safety behaviors I found out. And, you know, arguably I would say that getting rid of those safety behaviors actually impacted me more than the exposures themselves. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, there was a lot that I didn't realize was like, realize was a safety behavior. Um, so we worked through my hierarchy of exposure in general. Um, we worked through eliminating those, those safety behaviors. And now we're kind of on like a maintenance program where we're just working Mm -hmm. on the intrusive thoughts because I do still have those sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't really been put to the test recently. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm curious how I will react when it does happen. Yeah. But yeah. I feel much more confident in myself, um, you know, compared right. to the past. Yeah. 
That's good. That's great. You'll probably be like me when it does happen and say to yourself, well, that was nothing. I can't believe I spent all those years and all that time being scared of that because that was really not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on some of the safety behaviors you had that you didn't realize were safety behaviors? Yeah. So I didn't even know what a safety behavior was before Mm -hmm. I started therapy. But once I started, we started making a list together. And then I remember she was like, okay, tell me these things that you think would be considered a safety behavior. So I gave, let's say five. So mm-hmm. then she started reading a list of like common safety behaviors associated right. with emetophobia. And I was like, mm-hmm. that one, that one. And I was like, oh boy, there's a lot yeah. here. So um, yeah. just a few for me, one of the biggest ones was gum. I carried yeah. like yeah. seven packs of gum with me no matter where yeah. I was. And I would mm-hmm. chew like 30 pieces of gum in a day. Um right. If I felt sick in the middle of the night, there was a pack of gum on my nightstand and I would pop three pieces in. It was extreme. Yeah, Yeah. that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Use of like Zofran and carrying my own little first aid kit in my bag wherever I went. Right. right. Was another. Just just a um, clarification that in Canada and the UK, it's called Ondan Citron. Yeah, but it's a very powerful anti-emetic, anti-vomiting drug they give to chemo patients and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I carried that with me. I carried Pepto-Bismol with me. Mm-hmm. Um, migraine pills with me. I don't even get migraines, but anything that could lead to nausea I had with right. me. Okay. Um, yeah. Hand sanitizer and just over, like overly washing my hands um, right. throughout the day, right. especially at work was a big one for me. Yeah. Um, -hmm. I'm sure you can imagine working with little kiddos with kids. Yeah. 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 But yeah, well, that's really great. You're very inspiring to people, you know, because you sound so confident. I really should get, uh, you know, put some of these on YouTube because except that you can tell from looking at me that I haven't done my hair and makeup and you are so beautiful just naturally. Thank you, you. Look fantastic. <laughs> you look fantastic, but you just kind of exude this really confident, calm kind of person, you know, that I'm not, not all that used to seeing really, uh, even I appreciate the people it. I talk to. So, um, and good for you for going back to school and, and getting a master's. That must be such rewarding work to do speech therapy, I would think. Yeah, when it is. When kids can overcome certain problems yeah. that they have or or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's just an amazing thing. And you're going to be, so you're going to be an amazing mom. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, it, I'm so glad that you took this journey, went through it, and that you shared it with all of us today. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. And thanks for hanging in. I know I've been really bad at putting these podcasts up lately. I am going to try to get them out um, at the beginning of the week for at least a few weeks in a row. Um, It's yeah, lots of stuff going on for me. So I, I'm doing my best as all about all I can say. I'm doing my best. If you need more information about emetophobia or how to treat it, you can go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org. And I'll talk to you folks next week.